0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon. You are very welcome to Lifeline. Katie Hannon with you until three o'clock today. And I'm sure, uh, like a lot of you out there, uh, you were listening to the Health Minister, Stephen Donnelly, on the News at One with Brian Dobson there, um, saying what was wrong, what was going wrong, what, what, what he hoped to put right. Um, Jacqueline, good afternoon. Can you hear me? Yes, Jacqueline. I find you a bit low myself in your side, but that's OK. OK, well, we'll try and adjust that. Yeah, I'm being told they're adjusting that, Jacqueline. Jacqueline, if you can hear me, tell us yes. about, you were in uh, Limerick University Hospital in December and you had one of the worst days of your life. It was traumatic. I have no desire ever to live that again and I'm still traumatised by the incident. Um, I, I had a, a bad fall. It was actually before the ice uh, in early December. Um, I, an ambulance was called for me because I don't remember much of that. Went into the hospital. I was seen more or less in, in about 15, 20 minutes to, to x-ray me. After that, it became a disaster. Okay, now I just say, I have actually seen the photographs of you, Jacqueline, uh, from that time, and they're pretty horrific. They're horrific. very distressing in terms of the, the bruising and, and the, the damage that was obvious to see in your body. Uh, so t- take me through it. What happened after the accident? Okay, I, I, I fell outside in, in, in my um, apartment and uh, somebody rang an ambulance for me. I was taken out there to the UHL. Uh, they brought me after about maybe 15 minutes to x-ray. And uh, after that, they brought me back to a trolley. Uh, didn't wasn't explained what was going to happen or anything. Uh, if I can go back and forth, I was on the trolley for 27 hours. In that period of time, um, I was, wasn't brought to the toilet twice. Uh, I wasn't seen to. I wasn't seen. I wasn't heard. Uh, so it you, was horrific. You're, so are you are you on your own, Jacqueline, in this situation? I am. I so, am. I'm on my own. Okay, yes. you're I, on your I, own. I, I'm, and I'm on my own. My family is abroad. Uh, I had nobody with me. Uh, you saw the photographs. So my mouth was all blood, all dried. I couldn't speak. Uh, I wasn't fed, except I had to scream as much as I could after about 20 hours being there for somebody to feed me and give me a drink. I was put on an IV line, a cannula, and I wasn't um, actually given any uh, drip. I wasn't given anything. I was dehydrated. I wasn't given water. Uh, I called everybody. I, I could Now, you saw the photographs. I could barely speak out through my mouth. And I'm like, please, somebody give me a drink. I mean, even after surgery, when you come out, you're giving like something like a lollipop stick with a sponge at the end of it to wet my lips. Mm-hmm. That's all I wanted. And nobody was answering me. And I said, please, will somebody answer me? The um, the ladies that go around with the trolley for the breakfast mm-hmm. or in the cheese, they brought it, left it at the end. I said, can somebody feed me? Because you saw my two hands. I couldn't lift my hands. Yeah, so just to explain to people, Jacqueline, again, who won't have seen those photographs, you, was it both your wrists were broken? One was sprained and one was broken. Right. One was in a cast and the other was put into a splint. I couldn't lift both of them. You saw my elbows. You saw right up my hands how bruising it was. covered in bruises, yeah. Purple, deep Grand purple bruises. Yeah. I couldn't lift my hands. I still can't. And so, and, and, and again, we were on a corridor. Was there other uh, people it, in trolleys oh, on either side of you? Was, 
you couldn't put a mouth between the trolleys. I mean, the doctors and nurses were standing, walking. There was nobody. It was like you were being ignored. They were desensitised. They were dehumanised. It was just horrendous. They were like, we, we're too busy. We get you in a minute. And the minute never came. And the, I mean, like, and I really could not speak. Now, I've worked in this industry, in this field rather, for 27, 30 years. So I know what I'm talking about. There was an old woman, I'd say she was about 78, and she could speak, you know, she was on a trolley and she was like crying for me. She was like, if I could help you, I could get up and help you. And I was distressed because I was upsetting other people. I just needed to go to the toilet. I needed to be fed. I needed basic human, you know, it, it, it was horrendous. Oh, it's just, it's, I actually now, cannot as imagine I say, how awful I'm delighted that you saw the photographs because you can imagine the, the way I looked. You can visualise this. It's very hard to imagine people walking past you, though, when you when you are in that state now, and, and not I, checking I said, with you. Uh, yeah, no, I won't mention any names. I do know the names and I do know the ages of the nurse, but I won't say it. But there was a particular young nurse and uh, I, she, I, I called her so many times and eventually I said, like, will please somebody help me? Will you imagine I'm your mother? And she came over and she said, I'll try and feed you. And she fed me about four spoons and it was cold. It was literally cold food. It was like sick and vomit. It was so bad. And I said, I can't, I couldn't eat it. I said, give me a drink. And then I said, I'm sorry for asking you. I said, but just imagine I'm your mother. She cried in front of me, left me there and said, excuse me, went away, came back about four minutes later and apologized and said, I'm sorry. And I said, I'm sorry for upsetting you. Did I make you cry? And she said, I'm exhausted. Oh, I, and I was, my I'm, heart was broken because she looked, I have a daughter of 24 and I'll put it to you this way, she was younger than her. And she said she was exhausted. I said, I'm so sorry. And like, I, I was brought to the toilet eventually, eventually. Nobody would bring me to the toilet, nobody. So when I went, when I was brought to the toilet, now remember the fall I had, I couldn't, in pardons to anybody listening, in respect to you, I couldn't wipe myself. I couldn't wipe my, my bottom. I could do nothing. And I was left on my own in the toilet. And she said, shout when you need me. And I could barely, I could barely speak. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, I was after banging my head. They didn't x-ray my head, just my hands. I'm now in the process of waiting to go for an MRI. Now, on top of that, then, um, I had something very important to say now, and it's gone out of my head. It'll come back to me. But the, the, the experience was horrendous, absolutely horrendous. And, you know, like, I've worked I've worked with older people. Uh, imagine somebody that's like your mother that's 70, 80, 90, that doesn't know where they are, they have dementia. Somebody can't come with them. They can't stand up for themselves. They are, in my opinion, and it's only an opinion, like you're left dehydrated, like it, they have blood on their hands with people dying in the hospital. I know. And again, we should say, like you talked about that, that young nurse who, uh, you know, was obviously very upset, but at totally, you know, at the end of she her went, tether. She went away to cry and get herself together and came back. But like now, that, is, that, I mean, you know, when we, we talk about, we talk about you saying blood in there, but I mean, it's not the, the people on duty, the people who are actually on the front line that, that have to take, should it's be not. taking responsibility for this. No, it's management. That management should be sacked immediately, immediately should be sacked. 
And I know what I'm talking about. I worked in this field. I worked on the ground. I worked in A&E. I worked in hospitals. I worked in nursing homes. I know what I'm talking about. I know the policies. I know the procedures. It's horrendous. Yeah, I... And I, I, I I'll never forget it in my entire life. I will ref- I'd rather die at home in my apartment than go there again. I would rather God took me. May God forgive me, I'm a Christian, but I would rather I would rather God took me than go to that experience again. Now, I never experienced it. I, I know, I, and I, I just want to put to you, because we have a statement from uh, the hospital, uh, from uh, University Hospital in Limerick, who do say that they want to apologise to any person who has been experiencing long waits for hospital beds no at good. the hospital uh, to see a doctor in the emergency department. They say they've been managing record high attendances at its um, emergency department for a number of months now, intensified in recent weeks by a surge in respiratory infections, including COVID-19 flu and RSV. They say 2022 has been the busiest year on record for emergency care at UHL with 79,891 emergency department attendances, uh, which is up, they say, 4.2% on the previous year. So, I mean, there's no doubt about it. They, they're, they're in a very difficult situation as we have to acknowledge that. We have to acknowledge that. We have to acknowledge it. Now, let me say, I just remembered what I wanted to say to you, which was very important. Yeah. I, I, please now, I want the viewers or the listeners to bear in mind, as you saw the photographs, how bad my mouth was. I couldn't speak like this, that mm-hmm. I'm speaking now. And I said, I need to speak to management. And I was told specifically, management is in the other side of the hospital. I am not going. I said, it is my, it is my civil right. I need to speak to a management and I want to speak to a management now. I, or otherwise, I said, let me home. I said, I want to, I felt like saying, I, like, I want to throw myself on, off of the trolley and on the ground for you to take notice of me. I want, and she told me, she distinctly said, I'm, I haven't time, I'm not going for management. It's at the other side of the hospital and I'm here. Uh, and I was quite rude about it, let me tell you. I, I, can I just say though, Jacqueline, and I'm not in any way saying that you don't have a, you're not entitled to, and I, obviously everyone should be entitled to speak to the people who are making decisions when they're left in the situation that you were left in, which is completely, completely uh, indefensible. But I suppose if the point and is, I if they're, if, but if they're totally short staffed and it would yes. have taken a considerable amount of time to mm-hmm. go and get a manager, would that, can you appreciate that they might think there's other things I should be doing first? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But what I'm, why I'm mentioning this is like it, it cannot, it cannot stay at this level, and it should not have got to this level with our government. I think what's extraordinary. I mean, I know you. You couldn't talk like you're talking now, but I you couldn't. were. You were in the whole of your senses, and you could see what was happening, and you could, you know, at some stage, kind of call out. But as you say, there are so many people who end well, up in that situation on my mind. who are not in that position, who can't I speak mean, for themselves. Like, and I, again, there was a young girl where I live, the little sixteen-year-old girl. I don't know the circumstances. But I do know from what I've read on the papers and what I've listened to, she was left on a trolley and she's only 16 years of age, Lord of mercy on her soul. Like there's people dying because of this situation. And there's no doubt about it. I've read another article this morning. I, I, yeah, I just want to say in relation to that case and people will have read about it in the papers, just there is a, an investigation, an inquiry underway yeah. in that. So we can't actually make any uh, comment in relation no, to that, of obviously. Course, and I'm yeah. only making it in, yeah. in, in so far as that like this is what's happening. And look at the old people like that can't, 
having the, not the intelligence, having the mindset to say I'm in pain or I need a drink or I want to go to the toilet. Please help me. I was offered a bedpan at one stage after about six hours and I'm like, I can't move my bottom to get under a bedpan. I need to be brought. Like, I, there's no way I can even lift myself with my two hands not being able to move. I couldn't lift myself to get on a bedpan. I said, I need to go to the bathroom. My my um, my pajamas are, are, are wet. Still, yeah, at like 27 hours, is that is actually torture, isn't and it? And for a finish anyway, I said, like, I, I, they said, I, I, I made as much noise as possible that I was capable of. And they said, we will move you up closer to the um, nurse station. They brought me up and I said, let me home, please, somebody. I, I don't want to die here. I said, let me home. And after about two hours after that, they said to me, there's no beds here in the regional hospital, the UL, and there's no beds in Ennis, so we'll bring you to a nursing home. And I couldn't have got more comfort and more care in the nursing home. Highly praised them. I was brought in by ambulance to a nursing home because I live by myself. I can't, I couldn't look after myself. You wouldn't be able to now, make a cup of tea I, for yourself uh, with the way you were. No. Yeah. As I said, even this, the basic necessity of cleanliness for going to the bathroom I couldn't do for myself yeah. and still can't do it and I, I was, well I can but to a great deal of pain but let me tell you what about the people that can't speak up for themselves and do that I know that, that it's is yeah that is it's heartbreaking now can somebody please tell me can somebody telephone me can somebody write to me can somebody tell me what is going to happen in this country can you tell me? Can you do anything for this? Can Joe do anything? Yeah. Where is this going to Where is this going to take us? Because it is something that's going on and on, and um, it seems. To, and we're told, and we're being conditioned to expect this. It's going to get worse before it gets better. I, I want to. I just want to hear. I've got another. Another. Just hang on there, Jacqueline, for me, will you? We have sure. a, voice, a voice note here of the experience of another caller who was also in that that hospital, the, the University Hospital in Limerick. The emergency department of University Hospital Limerick has been at boiling point for a long time. And now that it's in the news, something might, I say might, be done, but I doubt it. A person with intellectual disabilities was left sit on a chair for 20 hours waiting to be seen. This person can only sit on the end of the chair because of their disability. The doctor apologised for this 20 hours later. It is a total disgrace. The system is not prioritising the right people. When this person was triaged, their intellectual disability was not taken into consideration. The staff are not to blame. But why is it that a state-of-the-art building can't cope with the amount of people needing care and attention? Yeah, and that was another another listener. I couldn't uh, have worded it better myself. That's a, that's very, and, and you that's know a very distressing correct. image, isn't the it? Triage, the idea of this. They're not this. triaged properly. Yeah. In my opinion, this is where it starts. I've worked there myself, not in, in UL now in A&E, but like they're not triaged. And because nurses are exhausted, I have many colleagues that are still working up and down the country in Monaghan and everywhere else. And, and, and they can't. They physically and emotionally spiritually, mentally, are finding it impossible to continue working. We're losing all our nurses. 
like if I had to go back and do all my training again and do all my social care work, I wouldn't stay in this country if I'd known it was going to be like this. And that's why we're losing our good doctors and our good nurses. And that's why families are left without their sons and daughters. It's horrendous. The immigration gone. Jacqueline, will you hang on for me? Because I have exactly, I have a caller on another line with exactly that point to make about uh, her own daughter. Joanne, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Katie. Joanne, you got in touch about your daughter who is just as Jacqueline was saying, they're working in this in this scenario. Tell me about it. She's a junior doctor, is she? Yes, she's a non-consultant hospital doctor. Um, she's in her, going into her second year mm-hmm. post-qualification and she regularly works very long hours. Now, she has just worked over an 80-hour shift. And when you say I shift, you're saying over a course of uh, over a week, course is it? Of a, a number of days, yes. She's exhausted and she's genuinely worried about whether she can continue working in medicine. Um, You know, doctors study for a number of years, then they work as interns, SHOs and so forth. Um, The hours are very difficult. She knew the the hours were going to be challenging. Um, I think the hospital system at the moment is severely understaffed. So much so that she brings a lot of her work home with her because she's concerned that she might have missed something because they're mm. they're working at such speed and um, they try to give attention and care to each patient and make sure everybody is kept safe. But it's difficult to keep people safe in the chaos of a busy hospital at the moment. Is she working in the um, emergency department? She works in the emergency department from time to time, yeah. but her main job isn't in the emergency department. Because I suppose a lot of us think about, when we think about this chaos, we think about the emergency department, but of course that's only a reflection of the overcrowding that's happening elsewhere in the hospital as well. Yes, it is. I mean, when patients are triaged in the emergency department, they then have to move either to a bed, which in a lot of cases is a trolley in the corridor, or they have to move to an area of specialisation depending on what's wrong with them. And one thing my daughter said at the end of this week was that she's tired of having to apologise as front of house for a totally broken system. Mm. Uh, She regularly comes home in tears and totally exhausted, distressed and disillusioned about the whole thing. You must be really worried about her. I am very worried about her. Um, She went into this. She's very dedicated. She loves her job. She's a very good doctor. And she doesn't even mind sacrificing a lot of her personal life for her job. But it really is becoming unsustainable. Is there medicine in the family? Was that what took her into this role? No. um, Her dad died of cancer a number of years ago. Oh, I'm sorry, Joanne. Thank you. And she was so impressed by the care he got and she just decided she wanted to be a doctor. Oh my God. So that that's what brought her to this. Yes. And now she's thinking she she might have to walk away from it? Yes. She's genuinely weighing it all up at the moment. I just, that image of your daughter coming home from a long shift 
in tears, worried about, did she miss something? Yeah. <sighs> like the stress of that. Yeah. And I, I just I really struck by Jacqueline's story about the young nurse who broke down and walked away to, to have a little cry and come back to, 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 to deal with her. It's just all these really dedicated people who are trying to make this, this system work. It's may, may I come in there? Yes, please, Jacqueline. Yeah, and apologies for intruding. But like, I too have images of your daughter, uh, Joanne, is it? And like... Yes. We, as nurses, carers, whatever, we go into this profession because it's in our 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 body, our mind, our soul. We we you have to be born to go into this. And as you said, she saw her dad and the care he got, and we go into it. We just don't do it for a job. You couldn't do this, and it now breaks my heart to see to hear rather that your daughter is considering something that she loves to give up. That is heartbreaking. Yes, it is. That, that is heartbreaking to hear this because I, as a colleague of hers, I could have been working with her, well, I wouldn't because she's young, but alongside people of her age and to think that I've seen doctors in my in my past experience working and exhausted and to think that taking your work home and to be afraid that you made a mistake and that in itself self-doubt into your mind on top of your tiredness and your trauma and apologising to every patient that you're with. It's, yes, it's very it's difficult. Just, just beyond. And I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm really, really sorry. And, and Joanne, would you like to see her give it up now? Um, I wouldn't like to see her give it up because the system needs doctors like her who love their patients and are dedicated. Um, But on the other hand, I'm thinking of her life Mm. and all the things she's missing out on and the the long-term damage this unsustainable living and working could do for her long-term. Would she consider moving as many of the other young doctors we we know are going to, to places like Australia? She doesn't want to do that because she believes in a good health system here. And she often says to me, Mom, when you get older, I want you to be in good health and be fit very well. And she she really believes in a good public health system. God, she sounds amazing. She sounds like exactly the kind of person who we should be having in our hospitals and and supporting and yes. she, uh, that it's just, it's just uh, a terrible, uh, it's terrible to hear that that's how she feels at the end of her Christmas, uh, her Christmas stint. Um, yeah. Can I, I, can I just give you another voice note, uh, if you can hang on, Joanne and Jacqueline for me. Sure. Uh, I want you to just hear sure. another, it's another voice of another patient in another hospital in our country in, in, in the recent past. Sure. I sat with my 74-year-old father for 12 hours on a chair in A&E over the weekend blood streaming down his face for all of this time. He had fallen down 12 cement steps and his glasses had cut in almost two inches to the bridge of his nose. He wasn't even given a tissue to hold over the bleeding. He got no x-ray, scans and was sent home 12 hours later. 
There was one doctor on call during this time, and he said he'd only one other trainee doctor with him for the whole weekend. It's ridiculous. He had to deal with every single patient who presented to the hospital. Joanne, that's that that uh, story there. I'm sure your daughter would, you know, be very familiar with that scenario of, you know, what happens yes. when you're that low, your staffing numbers are so low. Yes, and I mean, if there's a major event like a cardiac arrest, staff have to go and deal with that and other patients have to wait. There's no contingency built into the system for mm. for emergencies or for pandemics or flu season or anything like that. There's the minimum number of staff and really staff numbers need to be doubled or trebled. Yeah, because of course we all know if you have been... Uh unfortunate enough to be in a, an emergency room and when when the bells go when there is an emergency it's all hands on deck for that everyone has to run to, to deal with if it is like a cardiac arrest or, or, or a serious an RTE, you know, uh, or traffic accident exactly yes yes and then no matter what other people are doing they you just have to wait yes and and in some cases there you've got doctors and nurses leaving very seriously ill patients to deal with the the medical emergency. Yes, that's it. And another thing that isn't often considered is that doctors are exposed to all the viruses going in the in the general mm-hmm. public and they get sick too. And my daughter has gone to work sick many times because she doesn't want to let her colleagues down and especially her patients. Yeah, so people are pushing themselves beyond what yes, any yeah. what should be asked of anyone, really. That's the, that's the bottom line there. Um, OK, we'll, we, we, we'll, we'll come back to this, but I'll, I'll leave you go. Joanne, many thanks for that and best of You're uh, very welcome. and best wishes to your daughter. We are very lucky to have her and her likes in our in our health system. And I hope she finds a way to stay there. And Jacqueline, I hope I wish you the best. What's your how are you now? Are you are you out of the woods, do you think? Um, well, I, I'm out of the woods in so far that I can move a little bit. I'm, I'm just so nervous to walk around because I have no um, protection, you know, because my two hands are still strapped up. But I, I was actually sent home. I don't know if I mentioned this before you go. I was actually sent home without a follow up of an appointment for uh, the fracture clinic. So I kept ringing and ringing and ringing. And of course, as you know, the fracture clinic was closed in all over Christmas. I eventually, after trying at least 60 to 70 times, I got through yesterday and they rang me back today and hopefully I'll get an appointment to go and see uh, where I am now. Do I need to cast off? Do I need whatever? So they, they left me home without, they left me, sorry, to go to the nursing home. No follow-up. No discharge, no, no, um, what, where do I go from there? And because I was so distressed, I didn't even ask for an appointment. I had to follow that procedure up myself. Right, yeah, this is what happens when, when people are completely... So thank you very much to the listeners for hearing me. And thank you, Jacqueline, uh, for that. And thank you, Joanne, and uh, we'll take... Thanks, Katie. We'll take our break. And God Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Now, a slight change of attack. We want to bring in Veronica. Veronica, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Tell me what happened. It was the Tuesday before Christmas, was it? 
It was Tuesday the um, 20th of December. Okay. And where were you? And um, we were um, travelling on the M50, um, making our way from um, Dublin Airport where we picked up a car. And we were heading on our way down to Meath to a family gathering, um, a family celebration for my 70th birthday the following day. Oh, happy birthday, Veronica. Thank you indeed. Thank you. So um, we saw then on the um, gantries up above uh, a, a sign saying that there was an incident around about the N3 at the exit point and we could expect delays. And indeed, as we drove on a little bit further, there were delays and uh, traffic slowed down and eventually came to a standstill. Uh, so we sat in, in, in that situation for however long it took and then eventually the problem was resolved and traffic started to move again. So at that point then I uh, made strenuous efforts to engage gear and could not do so. Tried every gear and no success. And so I was stuck. So this was, we a, re- in- this was a rental car you were in, Veronica, was it? Yes, exactly. A rental car. Just picked it up uh, you know, an hour or so earlier. Right, OK. Yeah. So you uh, are in the middle of the M50. Exactly, in, in the middle lane. And um, um, I'd say, to start with, it was okay. Traffic was moving slowly. But as the traffic, you know, started to move uh, along, then uh, traffic either side of it started to move more quickly. I was left then stationary on the carriageway uh, with the, the rest of the traffic either side of me. So I put on my hazard lights, feeling quite desperate at this stage. What can I do? There's no way um, that I can can deal with it. No matter what I did, there was uh, nothing that would move the car, would get it started. And I looked behind me and I could see the traffic moving faster on the inside lane, faster on the outside lane, and speeding up behind us and cars getting obviously annoyed, blasting their horns as they went faster and faster and veered either side of us to, to get past. So it was a very, very frightening situation, absolutely terrifying. Your heart, I was going to say, yeah. your heart must have been racing. I'm trying to picture myself in that scenario. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, t- totally, because, um, you know, we thought, well, this is it. There's no way we're going to, t- to get out of this. We couldn't see any way. If we couldn't move the car, what were we going to do? And were you, uh, well, like, what was the conversation with your husband like at that point? Uh, well, he said, we've got to get out. We have to get out of the car. And uh, he, he got out. He got out and he managed to get across. Uh, the inside lane to the side road or slip road, whatever was there. So he's on the he's on the hard shoulder now. He's on the hard shoulder exactly, and I'm still in the middle lane, and the traffic is speeding up all the time, and, and uh, you know cars blasting their horns at me as I go past. I, in desperation, put my right hand out the driver's door, trying to signal to people that I was in distress. I hoped that a, the Garda car would come along or an ambulance, somebody would see us and uh, would do something um, to, to rescue the situation. Uh, and then my husband came back, he met me get, get back to the car and tried to persuade me to get out, but I couldn't. I was literally petrified to the spot. I was frozen. Uh, and as I look back, I just say, well, this is it. I'm not going to get out. This is it. This did is you, the end, you know. Did you really think uh, that? that, that, that oh, you... God, yes. Of course I did. I mean, how how would you see it resolved otherwise? You know, if I couldn't get out of the car, eventually somebody was going to crash into me. That's what, what had to happen, as I thought. So I saw myself as tomorrow's news, you know, collision on the M50. And there was no way it could end well. Oh, 
So it was desperate. It was totally desperate. And so I don't know how long it went on for. It's very, very hard to, you know, uh, work out the time span when these things are happening. Um, but um, the, then I noticed a, a, a truck slowing in or coming in behind me, not knowing if it was going to hit me or what, but anyway, he stopped right behind the car. He jumped out and he ran to the driver's door and he asked me what the problem was. So I told him what had happened and he said, if you move over to the passenger seat um, while he tried to deal with the clutch. And this he did. And in rapid time, he got uh, the, uh, the clutch into, the, into gear and we were able to get moving. So when traffic allowed on the inside lane, he moved the car over that lane and into the hard shoulder. And uh, then he said, now what I'll do is I'll stay behind you until such time as I see you driving off safely. And that's what happened. Wow. And it's just a total stranger. Totally. Oh, gosh, yes. Yes, indeed. Totally. Uh, Yes. Oh, yes. I don't know who he was. I wish I did. I would have loved to have uh, thanked him. I did say thank you, but what more words you can say in these situations? You know, he didn't have the presence of mind at the time to say, who are you? What's your name? Anything at all about him. So I know no more than he was the most wonderful man who came along and rescued me in a very desperate situation. And, uh, you know, got, got the car going uh, such that we were safe uh, to to drive off again. I don't know how uh, it would have ended um, otherwise. Well, um, you, you think you wouldn't have seen your 70th birthday, Veronica. Exactly. <laughs> this is what I envisaged. I thought, you know, this is supposed to be happening tomorrow. I'm supposed to be celebrating and it's not going to be happening. And the people I love, the people I, I wanted to be with, I wasn't going to see them. And... Um, it, it really, it really, it all flashed through my mind, and uh, it, it, uh, it um, uh, was an extraordinary uh, moment of realization that this is what's happening, and there's no way out of it. And that's actually how it seemed to be. There was no way it could end well. Um, but then your angel, your guardian angel, turned up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I did actually. I did pray. That was the one thing I had at the time. And, and I prayed, not a huge amount, but I did pray for help because I, there's nothing else you can do. And as I say, along he came, and indeed he was an angel. He was a, a total angel because he he dared to do what others wouldn't. You know, he dared to take the risk for his on his own life. Uh, he saw this desperate situation and he responded, unthinkingly for himself, responded to that need. Um, and I just think that, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, those who love him and those who know him should be aware of what a wonderful man he is and what a selfless act of heroism um, that he did on that day, oh. which actually made the difference between my life and my death. Oh, Veronica, that's such a lovely... Listen, let's describe him and see if we can find him. <laughs> I so. wish I could, but there's so little I can remember um, so age uh, age bracket what's very difficult very, I, I don't know he was not old but he was not young he wasn't a youngster so he's somewhere in the middle and so that's really maybe, all I can maybe, say maybe maybe 40s 50s mm, I wouldn't even want to put, put an age on it he, he certainly he's probably beyond his 20s and he'd be below his 50s I would think okay um, okay it was he was a it was a, was it a big truck or lorry that he was driving no, no. It, it, it wasn't what you might call an articulated lorry. No, definitely not. Uh, it was what I would best describe as a truck. Um, 
So okay. what detail, was the, the detail escapes me. I know. OK, and I can I, I totally appreciate that it, mm. the last thing you were doing was taking, uh, you know, an inventory of, of uh, what he looked yeah. like or what he wore. But can you remember what, what colour uh, jumper or jacket he was wearing or? Yeah, definitely. He, there was something orange on his jumper or a, a gilet vest, something like that he was wearing that was orange there. Now, whether it was um, a high-vis, high-vis thing or not, I mm. don't know. I don't know whether it was, but it was definitely orange. Um, the man himself was, was medium build. He was, you know, medium build, medium height, I would say. OK, um, so he was probably the most regular looking person that's ever been described. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what, yes. t- what time was it, actually? That's the key thing. It was about 3.30 on the 20th of December. Okay, so 3.30 on the M50, uh, somewhere coming up to the N3 exit, was it? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Okay, Mm. so maybe actually somebody else might have been driving past and seeing this happen. They might have, you know, maybe seen the truck, maybe got, maybe noticed uh, the name on the truck or something like that. Mm. Anything at all that might help us track down yeah. uh, this man. Was he, did he sound like he had a Dublin accent or? Mm, I wouldn't know a Dublin accent really. I, I, I wouldn't know. But he was, distinguish accents. he was probably Irish, you think, yeah? Oh yeah, I would say certainly he was Irish. Oh okay. my God, yes, he was Irish. Okay, okay. Okay, <laughs> yeah. well look, that we'll put that word out into the universe, Veronica. Mm. Uh, I'd love to talk, maybe he's out there. If you're in the cab listening yeah. to us, oh my God, please do give us a call uh, to our text us on 51551 um, yeah. 0818 715 815 and uh, yeah. we would love to hear from you. Or if you know who it is or you think you might know who it is, do get in touch yeah. because... Uh, we really should be thanking and uh, acknowledging yeah. Uh, yeah. the uh, what he did. He got you to your 17th birthday, Veronica. Yeah. That's right. That's absolutely <laughs> true. Yes. Okay. First day. I've, I've actually talked about it. I haven't been able to tell my family at all about this. But I, can I just say before I go that mm. I, I wasn't able to thank him properly on that day and I would like to do so now very publicly and from the bottom of my heart, I am forever grateful. Oh. Thank you, Veronica. If you, if uh, this man is out there, uh, please do get in touch. But anyway, you have it. You have that on the record, on the public record. Uh, happy birthday again, Veronica. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It was great to be able to celebrate it, I can tell you. <laughs> okay. Take okay. care. Take care. All right, then. Thank take you. Care. Bye-bye now. Talk Bye-bye. to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And I want to go back now to uh, the health service and the crisis of of, uh, overcrowding and and difficulties in getting access indeed to to a doctor. Uh, Carl, good afternoon to you. Hi, good afternoon, Katie. Uh, Yeah, I've been listening with interest and just wanted to, I suppose, relay just my story. And it might just be one way of relieving um, the issues. Uh, so uh, my son, um, he's 10 years old. He spiked the temperature on Saturday. And, you know, we did all the things they told us to do. It was probably viral. We gave him the, uh, the antiviral, the Calpol and Nurofen, kept an eye on the temperature. And um, so that was Saturday. Stayed up on, sun- on Sunday. Um, and by Sunday evening, it was a little bit worse, but still felt was checking his throat. He didn't have any spots or anything. Um, and, you know, um, got the temperature under control. But by Monday morning, he was miserable. 
um, really thrown down, no energy, and I felt just that he was getting worse. So um, I called, we tried to call the out-of-hours GP service, and um, so several times we just got an answer phone, and it said, re- um, uh, if it's an emergency, uh, hang up, dial uh, uh, 112 or 999, otherwise call back later. So we got that. In the meantime, his temperature was getting up to 40 degrees, over 40 degrees, and he, he now was developing white spots. So, you, uh, you know, I was very anxious and nervous about that, so, sorry, very worried about... What age yeah? is your son, Carl? 10. He's right, 10 yeah. years old, okay. yeah. And I was worried really about the strep A throat. I could see the white spots. Um, so it continued then to ring, like there was no other option. It was a bank holiday. And... Um, Eventually got through to um, the receptionist at 8 p.m. Got the nurse, uh, rang back at 9 p.m. And her message was, um, the doctor will call. We're very busy. Go to bed. Take the phone with you. um, And he he or she will call. So 3 a.m. in the morning, I got the call from the doctor and um, had been awake anyway with my son. Mm-hmm. And um, he, of course he needed antibiotics. And I suppose I knew that, that he needed the antibiotics earlier on in the day, but obviously had no access to that. And, um, and then, of course, had to wait until my pharmacy opened at 9 a.m. But I suppose my point, Katie, is that there, there has to be ways to relieve the burden on the doctors and the nurses because they are really working flat out. And I understand all that. And I do work in nurse education myself, and um, our advanced nurse practitioners, you know, they are educated to the highest level. They are nurse prescribers. They can prescribe. They work within their scope of practice. So they could easily be part of that. In my son's case, it was clean cut. You know, the doctor asked me four questions. Um, What's his temperature? Does he have spots in his throat? Does he have a cough? Is it productive? Four questions. Yes, he needs antibiotics. And so if someone else, like an advanced nurse practitioner, who I can vouch that they really are educated to the highest standard, they work within their scope of practice, they could easily diagnose that. Mm-hmm. And of course, and, we, and, but isn't that, I mean, I think that's acknowledged that this is what primary care centres and what GP practices really need to, to, to free them up a bit more, that there's just so few nurse practitioners in practice out there. Yeah, absolutely. But maybe, um, you know, redeploying them to areas like, you know, out of hours GP service, because this time of the year, lots of children are just like my son. They, you know, they it starts off as a viral and then it becomes bacterial and they... They just need the antibiotics. So I knew that he needed those antibiotics at 12 o'clock when I started ringing. But I had to wait till 3 a.m. for the doctor to say, yes, he can have them, and wait till 9 a.m. So as a result of that, he won't be able to go to school tomorrow because he's, he's, still, he's recovering, but he's still not well enough. So that day even makes a huge difference. And I suppose, and as well, Carl, I think this winter, because there was that worry out there, a lot of parents were that bit extra worried with the strep and knowing that there had been some serious cases, it just added an extra layer uh, to the whole thing, didn't it? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, I suppose, you know, it's to try to relieve the pressure now. And yes, of course, the primary care centre and, you know, when they come, that will be, hopefully, will be good. But now... You know, for lots of people in my situation, 
at the time. I think that would be, you know, really, really helpful. You know, I'm sure if I was a pharmacist, I'd be saying the same about pharmacies. Pharmacists, they, you know, when they're very clear-cut, you know, I, markers that this is what this patient needs, I, I think that would relieve it hugely. OK, Carl, many thanks for that. Uh, I'm sure you're not the only one uh, who thinks that and would agree with you. I want to bring in Louise now. Louise, good afternoon. Hello, how are you? Yeah, Louise, you were in hospital before Christmas. Uh, just before Christmas, yeah. Um, so I had a really bad injury of my back and I called uh, the ambulance people and can I just shout out to the ambulance people because my lift wasn't working in my apartment and they carried me down three flights of stairs. Gotcha. So okay. they were fantastic and um, thank you so much to those uh, guys. They were amazing. Okay. Uh, so I was brought to hospital in the ambulance and it was just excruciating. Um, I was crying every bump. And um, when they wheeled me into the uh, hospital, there was a load of people on trolleys waiting and to be, you know, to be triaged even. Mm-hmm. And then the nurse said, oh, um, can we sit her on a chair? And the ambulance man said, uh, no, like she can't. And so they were going to sit me on a chair, even though I had a spinal injury. And, and was, then, it, was it clear you had a spinal injury? Were you in that oh, like, I knew neck I'd, brace or, you know, was there? No, I wasn't no. in anything. Yeah, OK. I knew, I knew I'd fractured it. I knew I'd fractured my spine. Um, I'd fractured it before. All right. Uh, in a car accident. So I knew, like, I'd fractured my spine, but so, not as bad. I didn't know how badly I'd fractured it, actually. OK. And so I went in. The place was, like, packed like the A&E and so I, I saw a doctor, I had an x-ray and after about three hours, four hours they came back and said uh, there's nothing on your x-ray um, there's nothing wrong with you, basically go home with sulfidine and so uh, I was just like in agony but it was a bit like being gaslighted like because you're sort of saying to people look I'm really in agony but they're saying but the hospital said there's nothing wrong with you and then four weeks later um, I was out and I got But hang a phone on a second, uh, Louise. So you, 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 you say you knew you had a fracture. I knew Because you, you yeah. you, you'd previously had this injury and you knew what yeah. it felt like. But how did you, like, did you, were you able to walk? Oh, no, I was in agony. But yeah, look, I've got an autistic daughter and, like, people forget that when you've got an autistic uh, child, like, you can't just leave them at home when the ambulance comes and you fracture something, they have to come with you. Mm-hmm. And so she was with me and she couldn't cope with the, how busy it was either in the emergency department. But I was saying to them, look, I've fractured, I've fractured my spine like I'm literally in agony. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, but we can't see anything on the x-ray. And you could see it was like so crazy, you know, that they probably were like so badly busy, maybe they just missed it. So they sent me home anyway. Um, and then I was out, and four weeks later, the same doctor, who was actually lovely, a young doctor, a young female doctor, she was so lovely at the time to me, you know, but she said, uh, how are you? And I said, I'm really, I'm really in agony. And she went, well, I'm so, so sorry, but um, I was on leave, and then I only just got back, and we only just got the report of your X-ray, and you fractured T9, T10, and T11. So you fractured it not just in one place? No, I fractured three. 
three, three vertebrae. Three vertebrae in your spine. Yeah, yeah. T9, T10 and T11. And were you walking uh, around with, with these yeah. fractures? Wow. Yeah, because what what was I going to do? Like, there was no way I was going to go back to A&E because I think I'd you know, like, what are you going to do? Like, sitting there for hours and hours and hours. Like, if someone, if a doctor sort of said to you, you haven't, even though you know you have, I'd, like, what is your choice? Like, do you go back into A&E and sort of, I, don't, I didn't know what to do, like... And it was really terrible. It was actually horrendous because my niece was getting married in England and I said to my sister I couldn't drive and she said, but the hospital said there's nothing wrong with you and all my family wouldn't speak to me <laughs> because they thought I was just making up that I had a bad back. Oh my gosh, it was really awful. <laughs> and so when the doctor rang me, I just started crying and actually this old lady came and sat next to me and she obviously could see I was upset because I was just relieved because it was like I thought I was going mad, but I knew... Like that, I I'd really fract- I'd fractured something, and just a relief. And so then I went to a different hospital because obviously I never wanted to go back to that hospital again. And now I'm in a back brace, and um, I'm still in like terrible pain. I go back for more X-rays and an MRI because the risk of those three vertebrae collapsing is really acute. So. That is, uh, that is an aston- I can't, I, I'm just astonished that, that you were able to, to, you know, basically operate in any way with that sort of an injury for those but weeks. When you've got, I know, and when you've got, but when you've got an autistic kid, you can't just go to bed and say, look, I just can't. I can't do it. I, I can't. I just have to go to bed, like, and not move, like, because you have to get, get up and do all of the things that you normally would. But it's like, how are they so busy that they just missed it. Like, how can you miss three fractures of someone's spine? And was it explained to you how the, that mistake... She said, she said, look, we looked at the X-ray, we couldn't see anything on it on the day, and she said, and then I was on leave, but now I've come back and the full X-ray report has come back and we're so, so sorry. We're, she said, like, we're so, so sorry. I said, and I was like, well, you know, I don't really know what to say. Do you know, apart from, like, I was just happy that I knew what was wrong with me because I'd been walking around like with just sulfidine and I was just in agony. But what, 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 what could I do? Like, was I going to ring another ambulance and sort of bother the ambulance men or bother the A&E? And then you're too scared to go in at A&E because I'd have to take my daughter with me and then you'd be there for like 20 hours or however many hours and sit in a chair, which I knew I wouldn't be able to do. Yeah, but so you, really you must have a, been a bit nervous, though, then from then when you realised, OK, I've now got my three vertebrae ha, are fractured of moving from that point on for, you know, because obviously you're not supposed to move without. Well, I wasn't supposed to move for that whole four weeks. Yeah. Like, imagine, like, I didn't have a back brace. I didn't have any support. I didn't, uh, you know, like they'd sort of said to me, um, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, go home. And I was like, but I know I've fractured it. But I didn't even know that I'd fractured three vertebrae. Like, it was just, when she said to me, you fractured T9, T10 and T11, I was just like, oh, you know, oh, my God. Like, it is agony. Like, literally, I've got burn marks on my back from where I've just had a hot water bottle on me because I didn't know what to do. Because, um, yeah, I mean, so- we, did, we spoke to a, a consultant surgeon who was describing the scenario in the hospital that, that he was working in and... 
basically warning that, you know, in that scenario and when the A&E is the way it is, that people will miss, there will be mistakes made. That's what I thought. I, I just sort of thought, I'm not surprised because, like, literally the place was jammed. Like, it was just, it was unbelievable. And you can see people, like, you can see the stress on the doctors. You can see the stress. Like, if you speak to the nurses, they basically, they just ignore you. They walk past you. Because I think if they stop to speak to everybody who's speaking to them, they probably just can't get anything done. Like, and you feel so sorry for them. Yeah. You know, I, like... I have a memory, actually. Yeah, I was in an a a, a few years back and not, it wasn't quite at the level it's at now, I, I don't think. But even then, I was just struck by the fact that the nurses in that A&E they didn't walk anywhere. They ran everywhere. So it was almost impossible to catch their eye. They were like, uh, you know, operating at a different speed to... Yeah, they to, don't make eye contact no, with you. No. And they don't speak... To, like, you can speak to them and, like, literally they just walk past you as if you're not, you're not there. So it's like... It, it, I, as much as you feel sorry for them, you are getting this really awful standard of care where they've missed somebody with a potential... You know, I could... Par- paralyzing injury you know like if I'd if I'd done carried on without the back brace or without the treatment from the hospital like I could have been I could have been well I could have been paralyzed I guess do you know what I mean how are you now what's your prognosis now Louise Uh, I'm in agony like I've got my back brace on right now like you walk around sometimes people give you a double glance because it's a bit like a bulletproof vest you know uh, just sort of uh, but it gives you the support at least um, it's really excruciatingly painful still. Um, I'm still on a lot of painkillers and I don't like taking painkillers so I try to be on as a small amount as I can. Electric hot water bottles are the best thing ever, sort of keep warm for a long time. And uh, a little bit of a tip for people with back and back injury, I bought, um, you know when you're doing your washing and you're putting it on an air or something, mm-hmm. you know, so I bought one of those litter pickers, you know you're dropping socks all the time. Yeah. It's amazing what you drop all the time do you know so you, I got one of those little litter pickers and you, you, you can pick up your washing <laughs> it's just innovative ways of managing um, but I'm out you know like you have to carry on and care for your but I mean like I did uh, I did send a, there was no way you could complain to to the hospital I think it was some sort of email to say your say and I, I did email to say look you missed my you missed three fractures of my spine and the doctor was lovely, but, you know, it shouldn't, just shouldn't be happening. It absolutely should not be happening. You know, it shouldn't be happening because, it, you know, I don't know, I could have been in a really bad scenario of of, of those three, um, which I could, could still uh, collapse, but they yeah. could have collapsed much sooner. How can you send someone home with three fractures of their spine? Yeah, shocking. And say there's, there's nothing wrong with you, but that's, that's how busy it is. Yeah. You know, like when the health minister went round to all the A&Es yesterday, I was thinking all the patients must see him come in and think, oh, he's going to take away all the resources. It's bad enough as it is. <laughs> you know, like and now he's coming. Like, you know, oh, can you imagine? Like the last thing you want is him coming in and taking away people from working, you know. <laughs> so, I don't know. OK. Uh, Louise, I, I wish you the very best. Uh, uh, I'd rather be in the A&E on, on the middle of the M50. I'm sorry. <laughs> I felt so sorry for that lady. Fair play to her. I know she was. Oh, she was oh, amazing, and fair play to that truck driver who came to her rescue. Oh, I know. Well done. <laughs> okay, Louise. Thank, thank you, you very, very much. much. Take care thank of yourself. You. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.
Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And it's not all doom and gloom uh, today when it comes to the health service. And indeed, we know there's some brilliant people working in the health service. I want to bring in Anne now. Anne, good afternoon. Hello, Katie. We're very much under pressure for time. I'll make it as quick as possible. I differentiate slightly from the flow of uh, things going on today in your programme, stories, but I'm certainly aware of them. Now, I'm an 84-year-old, very young at heart, all recycling. Uh, I do my garden. So I'm in a very fit woman thank God, and uh, I had never been in a hospital except when I had my last babies. The week before Christmas I was rushing in to get decorations for my cakes, and on the third story, we won't mention the story, on the third step, coming down of a three-story building, I came a little bit of a cropper on the last step. Uh, very quickly, uh, between uh, the ultimate end, when I went to the A&E brought up by my daughter, uh, we had a bone broken in my heel and a bone broken in my hand. Okay. The first thing I thought was my cakes. What am I going to do? I couldn't think of anything else. Anyway, while I was in the hospital uh, on that particular day in A&E, it was very quickly done. Politeness was relevant all over the place. Nurses came up. We will be seeing you, not only to me, but to everybody else. I then went to the x-ray department, got the x-ray done, and everything, thank God, before they put the plaster on the bone, was looking in the right direction to clear, which is very important. So anyhow, from all the different avenues, news in the hospital that I was going to all new to me. Uh, everybody couldn't be nicer. I was well aware of a few people in the corridors and the nurses would go off quite often and say, uh, I'll be with you as soon as I can, dear. That was beautiful. Now, the end result was I had to wait. No, I was to go home for three days and come back in that awful desperate uh, Arctic road to come back to get a scan and I thought oh my god so the actress came out me in front of the doctor and I said to my daughter oh gosh imagine we've come back in that icy road now it's not dreadful he picked it up the next minute and I want to thank him I don't know who he was he then made some phone call and he turned around to me and he said uh, and could you wait for an hour or two could I wait for an hour or two thinking what's coming along the line we could do the scan today because we do need the results of the x-ray and the result correspond to the scan then we know everything is going in the right direction and then we don't see you with the plaster on for five weeks well he turned around he gave me that news I thought what a kind doctor that he was facilitating me I didn't have to come back in a few days time where the roads were like uh, you know scared scared and we got it all done within about two and a half hours which was nothing I didn't mind I shouted to everybody and I came home uh, with what you would call a clean bill of health that the bone was going in the right direction it corresponded to the uh, scan and I was on my way home so my experience from never being in a hospital except having my babies and I thank you God uh, is that they in the Mayo General Hospital in Castlebar County Mayo God help us I never came across such dignity such humor such help and such wonderful looking after as in Mayo and I thank you in this programme for giving me the opportunity to thank them. And I thank you Anne for giving us uh, that more positive 
uh, experience uh, from our health service because it is good to know and we know that uh, people are working so hard. I'm sure there are, it must be reassuring for doctors, nurses to hear that that is appreciated and that it is not all, as I I said, doom and doom. I know the poor people I heard today. I know what they're going through. I know these stories live. I'm not living in fantasy. But that is my experience. So there is good. And now they were very busy in the A&E. And every so often uh, I looked around and not just at me, but they would come up and say, we'll be with you as soon as we can. And I thought, I came out and I just said, okay, I'm listening to horror stories. But for me personally, I had the most wonderful experience. And that doctor who organise that. That was the icing on the cake. Okay. Speaking upon Christmas. <laughs> to let you back to the cakes. Okay, Anne, we have to go. We're out of time. Many thanks for that. Our team today, Jamie Doyle was on sound. Research was uh, Richard Byrne and our producer today was Annette Egan. Stand by now for Ray. 0818 715 815 stays open until 3.15pm or email joe at rte.ie.